0: I want to ask you a question. Uh, is there anyone here who likes being in debt? Yeah, I'd like to. Let me see. Okay, I haven't. I don't see any hands. That's correct. Look, we just found out something else we humans have in common. Nobody likes the state of indebtedness. We prefer, all of us, to be debt-free, not beholding to anyone, not obligated to. Anybody. Tonight, however, I'd like to talk briefly uh, to you about a debt we are always to be paying and yet never pay off. Uh, In effect, we could refer to it as a perpetual debt. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, Can can you think of a debt that is a perpetual debt? One, we are always to be in the process of paying and yet never pay fully paying it off, if you had to guess at what it is, what would you come up with? Way to go. Thank you. Didn't really hear, but I'm assuming it's correct. Just to check it out, uh, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. We are in Romans chapter 13, and we'll look at verse 8 and a couple others, and you'll see if what you yelled out is correct. I think it is. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Eight says owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law so all debts are to be paid until they are completely paid off however there is one exception to this rule and it concerns the debt of love You see, love is the only debt that is to remain unpaid. It's a debt which you and I are to owe unendingly. This is the one debt we must always be paying, yet always owing. In other words, we can never say, I have done all the loving I am required to do. I'm finished, I'm paid in full. We could never say that. In fact, whenever we come across someone, we ought to be saying to ourselves, as Christians, I owe this person a debt. I must show this person the love of Christ. This is the debt I owe to that person. Now, folks, if you have ever owed a debt, and I'm sure most of us have, you know what it's like when you come upon the one to whom the debt is owed. Even without a word, you are reminded of the fact that you owe that person a debt. In the same fashion, we ought to think of ourselves as debtors whenever we come to be in contact with anyone we meet. We ought to immediately see them to be someone in whose life we must make a deposit. It's a deposit of Christian love. Now, who, you might ask, do we specifically owe the debt to? Well, this verse, uh, chapter 13 in Romans, verse 8, tells us we owe this debt to our neighbor. You have that in your translation, I'll bet. We owe this debt to our neighbor. Neighbor. Literally, the word means the other one, the other one who is, get this, different than me. Isn't that interesting? I owe a debt of love to my neighbor and my neighbor, look, my neighbor surely could be the person living next door to me, but this term in the original language is not limited to the person living in your neighborhood. This term means I owe a debt of love to my neighbor, in this sense, to everyone, even if they are different than me. That's what it means. Now, the Lord had something to say about who our neighbor is, and he did so uh, in, a, uh, in an encounter with a Jewish religious leader. It is recorded for us in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. I'll tell you what happened. A lawyer, not a lawyer as we know, it was an expert in the law of Moses. That's what it means here in Luke 10. It's a Jewish person, kind of a rabbi, you might say, expert in the law of Moses. So one of those types, a lawyer, stood up and put him, the Lord, to the test, saying, teacher, rabbi is what the term would have been. Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said to him, well, what's written in the law, the law of Moses, how does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself He, the lawyer, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. This is not a myth. This is true. I've been on that road. Perhaps you have. It's called the Jericho to Jerusalem road. We travel it often when we go to Israel. If you're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, you're descending about 3,600 feet in about 22 miles. And there are all kinds of curves and turns in the road. It's a good place if you want to mug someone. So if you go to Israel with me and looking for a new profession as a mugger, this would be like a good place. In fact, it was so good historically, it was called the Bloody Road. You did not want to travel this Jerusalem-Jericho road in the old days unaccompanied. You wanted some friends to go with you. And so uh, this story that the Lord is offering to the lawyer would have made perfect sense to him. A man is traveling on this road, and he's accosted and left for dead. And then the Lord continues in Luke 10, by chance, a priest, in this case, not a Catholic priest, a priest in in the sense of a Levitical priest, someone from the tribe of Levi. By chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, get what the priest did, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, someone else, also, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side they both say i don't want i don't i don't i don't want this trouble i don't need this but a samaritan do you know anything about the samaritans oh my goodness you, you, in israel in the north you have a province called galilee and in the south you have judah and in the middle you have uh, samaria and samaritans live in samaria And they're a a people group with a very, very interesting religion. They worship down to this very day on a mount called Mount Gerizim. It's right there in uh, Israel. Anyway, the Samaritans uh, were hated by the Jews. The Jews considered them to be uh, lesser people um, and half-breeds because they were kind of a they mixed Judaism with other stuff. In fact, the Jews had such contempt for the Samaritans, you know the story, they wouldn't pass through Samaria to go up north. If they were going from Judea and wanted to get up north in Galilee, they'd take a big circle around Samaria so as not to go through it. They didn't want to get cooties from the Samaritans. In fact, the Jews, the, the Jews wouldn't even mention the term Samaritans. That's how bad was the antagonism. And so now the text is, is telling us here, and this is Luke 10, uh, back to the story. Uh, the, the, the Lord says, a, a Samaritan uh, came by and, and came upon this man who had been brutalized, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. A, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, that was the coinage in that day, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Folks, this is, this is marvelous. Uh, this Samaritan did all this for a man he had never met. He did all this for a man who was probably a Jew. He did all this for an unknown Jewish man who probably wouldn't have done the same for him. And then the Lord said to the lawyer, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, they're Jews, the Samaritan, not a Jew, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer uh, didn't know what to say. See, his question was, who is my neighbor. But the Lord changed it to this question. Which of these three do you think prove to be a neighbor? So the issue is not who is my neighbor. The issue is to whom can I be a neighbor? That's what the Lord Jesus wants for us. Who can I show neighborly love to? Not who has shown love and kindness to me. Who could I show love to? Now, back to our primary text, Romans 13, verse 8, where it says, Owe oh, nothing to anyone but this debt of love, and he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The word used for love in this verse, I'll bet you're familiar with it, is the word agape. It looks like agape, doesn't it? But it's actually in the Greek pronounced agape. It's a very, very special word for love. It, uh, it describes love that is completely undeserved. It's a rare commodity. It, it describes love that is not uh, evoked by the loveliness of the one to be loved. In fact, the one to be loved can be unlovely. But if someone is loving agape style, it doesn't matter. They are loving in spite of the unloveliness, strangeness, differentness of the person to be loved. Folks, agape love is exactly the kind of love the Samaritan showed. He got nothing from this Jewish guy. He got racial discrimination from the Jewish guy. I, that's the way it was. The Jewish guy did nothing to evoke his the Samaritan guy's affection. He just did it for no reason. He did it as a matter of choice, not emotion. He didn't necessarily have warm feelings for this guy who would have nothing to do with him. He made a decision to and the Lord offers him, interesting, uh, a forsaken, despised a Samaritan as the example of agape love. Folks, it's the kind of love with which you and I, if we're Christians, are loved by God. It's not that he saw something attractive in us, it's not that he saw us paying him back and returning the favor. It's the mystery of our faith that God would choose to affix His love on un- unlovely ones such as you and I. It's agape love, and that's the word used in Romans thirteen, eight. So, uh, the Lord is essentially telling us that the kind of love we are commanded to manifest is primarily a matter of the will rather than of the emotions. A matter of the will. That's when you say, I'm choosing to pay a debt of love to that person, even if that person is other than me, different than me, even if that person is of another race, another age, another gender, another culture, another religion, whatever, I am choosing as an act of the will to love that person. I was uh, in the service a long time ago. I was led to the Lord by a guy, and then he discipled me. So we lived together for a year. He discipled me. At the end of the year, he said, okay, Stuart, we're going to split up now. I'm going to take on another guy to disciple, and I have a guy for you to disciple. I got a new believer. I want you to move in with uh, and, and disciple him. I, oh, good. I thought, that's good. I'm graduating. And he gave me the name of the guy. His name was John. I said to the fellow who led me to the Lord, his name was Mark, I said, Mark, I can't stand John. And Mark said to me, yes, that's why I want you to move in with John. I didn't ask you to like him. I want you to love him as an act of the will. Well, I thought the whole thing was stupid, but I did it. And I decide, I know, I'll come up with a project that will give John and I something in common. Well, John was a shift worker in the military. So in order to sleep by day, he had painted the walls of his barracks room uh, dark maroon. It was like a cave. And he did this so he could sleep during the day. But I was not a shift worker, and I didn't like it. And so I didn't suggest, let's paint it white. I said, let's just come up with like a neutral color, like an off-white kind of a deal, and he said, okay. I said, well, let's get together Saturday morning, you know, uh, I'll get the paint, the brushes, and we'll just just repaint it. He said, okay. So Saturday morning comes about, I got the paint, I got the brushes, I go into this uh, cave-like, dark maroon painted room, and uh, John's not there. So I wait around a little bit, and I say, ah, well, let me get started on the project, he'll show up. Yeah, at 5.30... I had put the last stroke on the wall, and John walks in. He's got his uh, sneakers over his shoulder. He was playing basketball. Where were you, said I? I was playing basketball. What do you mean playing basketball? We had this deal to get together. So I just, man, I just laid into him. I, I, just, I just went for it. And I was just going to say, that's it. I'm not rooming with this character. And Then I, I remembered what my assignment was, and I remembered how uh, the Lord, who owed me nothing, had loved me by rescuing me, and so I thought, well, the guy who led me to the Lord hadn't led me astray thus far, so I'll try it. So I stayed with him, uh, deciding that I would consider him someone to whom I owe a debt, even though I, I can't stand him. I owe a debt of love. So the Bible doesn't say you must like each other. I did not like him, but it does say you must You must love each other. So I stayed. we stayed together for several months. And you want to know something that was just amazing? My heart changed. I don't know if he changed. I don't think so. But my heart changed. And the like became an affection. And loving him actually became easier. It was like God was rewarding good behavior. It it was as if he was saying, I'm telling you, when you pay your debt, even to someone who doesn't deserve it, I will replenish your supply. I'll fill you to overflow, and I will make you succeed in human relationships you would otherwise never have succeeded in. So God tells us here, it seems to me, the kind of love we are to manifest is like his. It's a matter of the will, not a matter of the emotions. Now, there's something else about love, lest you get the wrong opinion. Biblical love is not giving people what they want. <clears throat> it's giving people what they need. Oh, no, 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 no. I spoke with a church member the other day who was, had a question about the religious freedom um, laws in various states, which extend to religious people the right not to transact business with certain customers who, in doing so, would violate their conscience. So if you're a Christian uh, baker and a couple, a same-gender couple, comes to you wanting to enlist your services to bake a wedding cake, uh, you may say, I hope lovingly, uh, uh, I can't do this as a matter of conscience because I do not think this is the way God would have it. I mean, nothing Uh, against you personally, but I cannot participate in the bond I I think is outside of God's will. Well, certain states uh, have religious freedom laws on the books. It's the latest thing that people are challenging uh, now. And so this church member called me and said, Stuart, I don't understand these religious freedom laws. Aren't we supposed to love folks? Isn't isn't that an unloving thing to do, to say, I cannot be your photographer at that wedding or I cannot make your wedding cake? is that an unloving thing? And so we had a good discussion about this very point. Folks, love is not giving people what they want necessarily. It's giving them what they need. Do you know what people need? People need to be reminded that the God who has given us guidelines for living knows best. He's given us guidelines for sexual matters, financial matters, all kinds of matters, and he hasn't done it to cramp our style. He cares how we live and he wants us to live rightly. So he has said in some cases, don't do this. Secondly, it's an act of love to tell people that, but it's also an act of love to try to discourage them from their course of action, knowing one day they'll have to give an account to Almighty God. You don't want them to be judged for their own sin, do you? You want them to accept Jesus who was judged already for them. So can you see, loving is not uh, tolerating evil and wrongdoing. Loving is not supporting someone in, a, a, in an addictive pattern that's, uh, that's not in their best interest. You know what I think love is? Love is encouraging people to make responsible choices L- love is is refusing to do for people what they ought to do for themselves and i'll give you an illustration i've shared this a few times uh in the past but i think it fits here i have three sons and the youngest uh when he was very young he used to get allowance two dollars a week we would give him and uh he saw something on tv that he wanted to purchase with his $2 fortune. And he wanted me to take him to the store and get it. And I said, Ben, you know, uh, we could do that, but the way they showed on TV is not the way it really is. It's not going to do those things. They're showing you it does on TV. And he says to me, yeah, but it's My money. My money his money from my wallet. So I decided, okay, if that's what you want. So I loaded him in the car and we went over to, it was Kmart, Kmart, and uh, went in and got this toy. He couldn't wait. He wanted to take it out of the plastic container, you know, and start playing with it. I said, no, 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 you got to wait till we get out of the store. And so we uh, get in the car. He's in the back seat and he tries to put it together, and he succeeds, and then before we even got out of the parking lot, the whole thing fell apart. He starts crying. The little kid, he starts crying, you know, and I start getting um, ar- aroused, you know, my, my son is crying, you know, they deceived him, and you know, they got two bucks from this little kid, and I'm, g- I'm going to take this this broken toy, I'm going to go in there, and I'll get the two bucks, I'll... I mean, I'll get more than that. They'll pay me to leave the store, you know. I'll, I, you know I'm gonna... And then something in me told me, you know, if you do that, you're doing it for you, but not for your son. Because that's not really going to help him at all. That's not an act of love. What will really help him is to let him live with the consequence of his refusal to follow counsel from an older, more experienced person. And if I took him in there and got this back, I would have taught him a different lesson if I got his money back. The lesson would be I don't ever have to make responsible decisions nor get counsel from wise older people. I don't have to do that because if I make a bad decision on my own, someone will be there to always bail me out. You see, I would have given him a false view of reality. No one is there to bail you out. You break the law, and the uh, authorities hold you responsible. You you cut school, and the authorities hold you responsible. You know, this kind of deal. And so I, I just kind of uh, bit the bullet, so to speak, and let him cry. It was very disturbing to hear him cry all the way home. But I must tell you, to this day, that kid will... Uh, Seek my counsel before he makes serious decisions. You know what he's doing now? He's a cop. He's a cop. I think because of the way I abused him, he went into a violent profession, you know. So now he has a gun. So if he doesn't get the toy he wants, you know. So folks, don't misunderstand. Love is not this flower child, mushy, whatever makes you feel good. Oh, no. Love is encouraging the person you're loving to make responsible choices. That's what we are, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, get this. uh, The verse, verse 8, says, if you do this, this kind of love has the potential to fulfill the law. That's what it says. Love your neighbor and you will be one who fulfills the law. Now, I, I have a question. How does loving. Your neighbor fulfill the law." Well, listen to what the scriptures say about this in Matthew chapter 22, beginning of verse 34. Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, here we go again. Asked him a question, testing him. Said, Rabbi, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Folks, we have 10 commandments, but in Judaism, our rabbis have identified a total of 613, but the Lord Jesus is saying we can summarize all 613 under these two, love God and love your neighbor. That's why loving one's neighbor fulfills the law that's what we're required to do as believers and now in keeping with this whole notion of fulfilling the law Paul in verse 9 and 10 shares some of these commandments in the Mosaic law look at verse 9 for this you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment it is summed up in this saying You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the commandment says no adultery. Why not? Well, because love doesn't exploit your neighbor's body. Another commandment says no murder. Why not? Because love doesn't take your neighbor's life. Still yet another commandment says no stealing. Why? Why not? Because love doesn't take your neighbor's property. And then the last of the Ten Commandments says no coveting. Why not? Because love doesn't harbor the wrong desires for what your neighbor has and you don't. Can you see, therefore, loving one's neighbor biblically fulfills all the commandments of God? So back to the text. It's none of these things but you shall love your neighbor as yourself." See where it says as yourself? Could I correct a popular misconception? It is often taught that that means you have to first learn to love yourself before you can love others. So that's the popular sort of psychobabble of the day, self-esteem. Before you can esteem others, you have to esteem yourself, so you want to cultivate self-love. Folks, that is not what this means. You know why? Nobody has to cultivate self-love. Good night. We're wrapped up in it. When was the last time you stopped thinking of you? I mean, we are preoccupied with ourselves. When was the last time you weren't intent on getting your needs met, whatever they may be, legitimate or illegitimate? Are you kidding me? I don't need any encouragement to be preoccupied with myself. Good night. I'm stuck on me. I'm addicted to me. For crying out loud, I can't shake me. I'm preoccupied with me. Of course, if you were me, you would be too. <laughs> okay, that's not true. That's a, but, but, so that's not, so when someone says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, you know what it's saying? You see how your natural inclination is to focus on you? Do the same for others. Focus on them. That's what it's saying. It's saying you already love yourself by natural inclination. Transfer that to someone else. In case you're wondering, how should I love that person? Good night. How do you love you? You're already preoccupied, focused, and stuck on you. Get out of yourself and start spreading the wealth. Pay your debt of love to another. Now, I want to close by asking two two questions. Here's the first. How did I incur this debt? I mean, how did we incur this debt of love to begin with? I mean, the debt of love owed to another is not necessarily because that other has done anything for me or for you. So, what's the deal here? The debt owed to others is not because of what they have done for me. It's because of what Christ has done for me. That's why, if I'm a Christian, I owe the debt of love to others. It's not because what they've done, good or bad, not done. It's because of what Christ has done. And so it says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, why then, if Christ has done this for us, why do we owe a debt to others? Shouldn't we owe the debt to the Lord? The answer is, absolutely not. Be careful here. The Lord Jesus can in no wise ever be paid back for the love which he has freely bestowed upon us. If we are trying to pay him back, and a lot of Christians who are under pressure and no longer have the joy of their salvation, that's what they're trying to do. If we are trying to pay him back for his love, then his grace would no longer be grace. It would be something we're obligated to pay him back for. It's a favor done to us. We have to return the favor. I have to tell you, folks, God's grace, his gracious love, is either free or it is not God's grace. No, I do not owe the Lord Jesus a debt. What he gave me, he gave me without any strings attached. It's an inexpressible gift. I cannot Pay him back. So the scripture says, freely we have received. Therefore, freely we give. So this then answers the first question. How did I incur this debt? It's because of what the Lord Jesus has done for me. Now here's the second. Okay, how can I pay the debt back? How can I pay this debt? Uh, You might say, good night. Not only do I not love people, I don't like people. You know, to be honest with you, I'd just rather you know, live in a shack somewhere in the woods and, you know, have someone drop off the mail once in a while, but people drive me crazy. Dogs, now that's different. I like dogs. If people were like dogs, I could love people. But since people are not like dogs, I don't love people. You know what I mean? So so how am I going to pull this off? Well, here's the answer. You can't. Neither can I. We can't do it on our own. You know what we need? A change of heart. That's, that's just the way it is. So I need first to open my heart uh, to the love of God before I have any capacity in the overflow to love anybody else. It's in the overflow that I can love others. So we pay our debt of love to our neighbor out of the surplus of God's love, which has been shown to us. In fact, isn't this true love is one of the fruits of the holy spirit it says this in galatians chapter 5 verse 22 the fruit of the spirit is love it's not the fruit of religiosity a new year's resolution human effort human potential no 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 love is the fruit of god's spirit in us you know when we talk about being saved uh, of course we think about being saved from the wrath of God. Did you, know, did you know that? Everybody will have to give an account to a holy God. We owe him a debt unless his, we accept the fact that his son has paid it in full, you see. And uh, so what we're saved from is the wrath of God. But there's more to it than that. We're not only saved from the wrath of God, we're saved from preoccupation with self. We're saved from self-love, and we're given as a fruit of the relationship with Christ in us. We're given the capacity to love, agape style, in a way we never did before. We're prone to love those like us, our family or members of the same racial group or something like that. But the word neighbor here means, no, I want you to show unconditional love to to the, to the other ones, people who are not like you, we cannot do it unless we be saved from our sinful, narcissistic preoccupation with self, unless we be saved from our sense of su- personal group superiority, and we can't do it. No legislation from the outside can do it. Has to be renovation from within, and that's exactly what happens when one says, oh God, I'm separated from you through sin. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, you who died for my very sin and rose up from death. Come in, for I need a new heart. Change me from the inside out. That is my only hope. I cannot fulfill Romans thirteen eight unless I am fulfilled in a personal relationship with you. I must... Uh, encourage you to think about taking Christ as your Savior tonight. Uh, Again, saved, imagine it, from the wrath of God. Wow. Not fearing his second coming because you have responded rightly to his first coming. He came as suffering lamb the first time. I'm telling you he'll come as lion of Judah the second time. If you first know him as lamb, you won't fear him as lion. So I beseech you, be saved. It's by faith. That means trust in what God has provided. Be saved by faith in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And then say, and now begin the process of making me new. I'm disgusted with my preoccupation with self. I'm disgusted with my self-involvement and self-centeredness. In fact, it makes me depressed. How could I get out of myself? Would you save me from that? Would you come into my life? with an agape, unconditional love, would you affix that love on me, the love that forgives, the love that adopts me into your family, and would you in the overflow, as a fruit of you in me, would you allow me to bear the fruit of love in the lives of others, to whom I owe the debt of love. Lord Jesus We are beholding to you. We are absolutely dependent on you for victory. Of an eternal kind? Sure. But even of a present kind. How could we triumph over sinful patterns and inclinations that are destroying us? How can we? Unless, oh God, you add your spirit to the mix by our invitation. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. If you add your spirit into the mix, you could help me to be new, changed. You could change my heart. You could get me out of me. You could give me eyes for others for whom you died. In the surplus of your love, in the overflow I'll be better able to love others. Therefore, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Remove the barrier of sin, which is an obstruction between me and you. Remove it, O oh God, by my faith in what transpired on the cross, that having been removed. Now make me new. Make me to be like that Samaritan, not that religious um, Uh, Those those religious people bound to their religion, the priest and the Levite, which did not affect them at all on the inside. Instead, I pray you would change me from the inside out. Make me to be more like you. Make me to be one who pays the debt of love owed to to everyone who crosses my path, who's needy and whose need I can meet. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.